What's up, guys, and welcome back to another episode of Not Gonna Lie. I'm your host, Jonathan Terry, and we've got a great one for you today. Marcus Grant of NFL.com comes on. We talk about free agency moves. We talk about the upcoming draft and especially what that means for you and your fantasy team for this upcoming season. And then after that, we get into Tiger King, which is maybe one of the craziest documentaries that I've ever seen. It's a really great interview. He was on the whole time. If you have an idea for maybe another Netflix series or show or documentary that you want me to go over with a guest, feel free to reach out to us. DM us on Instagram at Podcast, on Twitter at PodcastNGL, or leave a five-star review on Apple Podcast with your idea for the next doc. But here he is, Marcus Grant. We are now joined with Marcus Grant, NFL fantasy writer for NFL.com. Marcus, how you doing? I'm good, Jonathan. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, absolutely. It's great to, to get you back on again. It's been been a couple months, but uh, happy to, to have you on. Uh, talk to me a little bit first off, obviously the big news. Um, what, have, what have you been doing to fill your time during this quarantine? Um, well, it's funny because, you know, during the week I'm still, still working, you know, we're still putting out content. Uh, Adam Rank and I have been doing videos, uh, you know, I'm, I'm very slowly, uh, slower than I would like to, uh, started to kind of get my, my NFL draft prep ready. Um, you know, like I, I hadn't really had an opportunity to kind of dive into the guys the way I'd like to. So I'm starting to do that now and getting myself ready for the draft in a couple of weeks. Uh, beyond that, you know, uh, fiance and I have been binge watching stuff on TV, taking care of the kid. Uh, I'm just trying to find other weird little home projects to keep myself busy. I, I have a small garden on our balcony at our apartment, so I'm, I'm working on that. Um, just working on weird little projects in the kitchen, just things to sort of keep my mind occupied, basically. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, and, and for those of you who listened last week, Marcus agreed to talk Tiger King with me, so that'll come at the end. So I'll let you know, so we won't spoil anything, but make sure if you haven't watched it, one of the wildest documentaries I've seen, um, but make sure you go check that out. So first off, first thing I want to cover, the NFL dropped their all-decade team today. Um, I just kind of, I don't know if you have the list in front of you, I'm just going to go through them right here, and then uh, let's talk a little bit about some guys maybe we thought were were left out, or guys that should have been included. So quarterbacks uh, were Tom Brady, Tom Brady was unanimous, and Aaron Rodgers, wide receivers, Antonio Brown, Larry Fitzgerald. Calvin Johnson, Julio Jones, tight ends, Rob Gronkowski, Travis Kelsey, tackles are Jason Peters, Tyron Smith, Joe Staley, Joe Thomas, the guards, Jahari Evans, Logan Mankins, Zach Marshall, Martin, and Marshall Yanda, and then the centers, Alex Mack, Mar- uh, Marquise Pouncey, running backs are Frank Gore, Marshawn Lynch, LaShawn McCoy, and Adrian Peterson, he was unanimous, and then Darren Sproles as the flex. So first off, let's start quarterbacks. Are you are you okay with this list? Do you think, I mean, obviously Tom Brady, what he's done and like that, that's pretty undisputable. Um, but there are a couple quarterbacks I'm thinking of that, you know, could, could rival a case for Aaron Rodgers. What do you, what are you thinking so far? Yeah. I mean, I think the first, the, the first name that, that jumps to mind at quarterback is, uh, is Drew Brees mm-hmm. and the fact that, that he was so good for the entirety of the decade there. Um, you know, some of it was that the Saints needed him to do more for some of those years where he had to throw the football a little bit more, but he was still outstanding. So I, I felt like he's a name that could have been on this list. The other name that I, I thought about as I was kind of going through this today uh, was Russell Wilson, who okay. has had a who had a very good decade. Obviously, you know, the, the Seahawks won one Super Bowl. Uh, they got to another one, um, you know, and, and Russell Wilson has kind of been look, that offense for all intents and purposes for a couple of years was Marshawn Lynch and Russell Wilson. And mm-hmm. I think even now that that Lynch has left, 
uh, we still see Russ kind of keeping this team afloat in a lot of situations. So I, I think he's a name that I don't know that he would have uh, beaten out either Brady or Rogers or even Breeze, but I think he definitely can, should be considered an honorable mention for this group. Yeah, and right now, honestly, during this quarantine, we have nothing, really nothing better to do than than debate these sort of things. So I'm glad you brought up Russell Wilson. Drew Brees was one of mine for sure. I think probably what gives Aaron Rodgers the edge over Drew Brees is that Super Bowl. Because I think Drew Brees won his in 2009, technically. Mm-hmm. I, or I guess it was 2010 was when it was played. But So it's definitely a, a, a very technical thing. Uh, so let's move to wide receivers. Any any names you missed? I think this, honestly, I, I, I like this list quite a bit as far as what they put together. Are, are, were there guys that you thought maybe should have gotten a shot? Um, yeah, I mean, I think the receivers, honestly, I, I think they're, they're fine. I, I was going through and trying to figure out somebody who might have been left out. And I, I really couldn't um i mean i guess if you want to go with an honorable mention maybe aj green mm-hmm. kind of slides in there a little bit but i think i think you talk about ab fits uh, megatron julio jones um i mean i really feel like those were the four receivers that more than anything sort of defined the decade i think if anything larry fitzgerald um might possibly be underrated a little bit and i i say that in the sense of you know you look at all these other guys right i mean ab uh, Calvin Johnson, Julio Jones, they they all had some consistency at quarterback and they had quarterbacks who were pretty good. And, and yes, Larry Fitz did have Kurt Warner uh, near the end of Kurt's career, but he also went through some bad quarterbacks mm-hmm. for a while. I mean, yeah. they rotated guys and they went through some really bad quarterbacks and he still found ways to produce year in and year out. So, um, I mean, that, that to me is just another little check mark in his column. But but I think those four are are pretty much the the pinnacle. I don't I don't really have any beef with any of those. Yeah, and I mean it's not often that you you see really a wide receiver carry a team the way that Larry Fitzgerald has done really through a lot of his career. Um, I mean, like you said, he's had what Carson Palmer and Kurt Warner, and now he's getting Kyler Murray at the end of his career. But that's really about it as far as notable quarterbacks go. Oh, so yeah, no, the I mean, look, the John Skelton years, yeah. the Ryan Lindley years. Um, not fun. <laughs> Not fun at all. Yeah, definitely. Uh, tight end, same thing. I mean, when you think of two guys through this decade, I mean, it's Gronkowski and Travis Kelsey. Obviously, Greg Kittle or George Kittle has um, has some claim there, but he's he's been doing it for such a short window of time that he doesn't have the longevity that these other two guys do. Um, I mean, maybe Zach Ertz. Like, is it? I mean, that's that's pretty much it. Tight end has been dominated by these two. See, I feel like because Jimmy Graham's last few seasons have been so bad, we forgot how good he was mm. at the start of the decade. Mm. Um, you know, when when Jimmy Graham and Drew Brees were doing their thing in New Orleans, I mean, they were they were damn near unstoppable. Um, and I think since he has left New Orleans and everything has kind of fallen apart for Jimmy Graham, we've kind of forgotten about that. I mean, the years in Green Bay were underwhelming to say the least, and now he goes to Chicago and everybody kind of feels like he's washed up or whatever. But I mean, let's and maybe this is me also coming at it from a little bit of a fantasy perspective. But I mean, there was a period where, you know, your your top tight ends were generally going to be Gronk and Jimmy Graham. And so I think I think he, you know, not, you know, not not he, that he did this on purpose, but he has hurt himself with having bad seasons the last three or four years. And I think that's kind of erased our memory of who he was. Yeah. And I think also one of the one of the big things is he he wasn't he's never been an elite blocker, you know, a top end guy. Mm-hmm. So for, for some of these other guys, especially um, Kelsey and Gronk, like they pride themselves in blocking. So if they're not catching a hundred yards, they're they're uh, They take pride in, in knocking guys over and creating space in the run, which I think 
helps their case, even though, you know, it doesn't really show up on the stat sheet. It, it, it uh, values them a lot higher as, as a tight end. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. I think that that might have something to do with it, but um, yeah, I just, yeah, I, I feel like we should get Jimmy Graham's name back out there. Cause I feel like he has, uh, he's kind of slipped off of our, our mental radars in the last few years. No, that is very true. Like I, I did not, my mind did not go there uh, until you brought it up. And I was like, you know what? Yeah. Jimmy Graham was actually really good. Um, <laughs> so running backs here, I mean, it's kind of the same story, like you said, um, with with tight ends or, or talking about that running backs. These four guys, they're not necessarily the most dominant now, but you look back over the last 10 years, these were the main guys, these main four. Um, and there's been a lot of really good running backs over the past few years, but none have really put together resumes like like these guys have. Is there is there a guy, maybe honorable mention or somebody that you thought was left off the list? Um, I mean, I think these four are the top. When you talk about Gore, Lynch, Shady McCoy, and, and Adrian Peterson, I think they are the, the, the top running backs. I thought, you know, um, I don't know, Arian Foster had a nice run, but that was fairly short. Mm-hmm. Uh, Le'Veon Bell had a good run, but he sort of came in the middle of the decade. Uh, you know, when he really burst on the scene was sort of the middle of the decade. Uh, I thought, you know, something that Adam Rank and I talked about, maybe Matt Forte, but he sort of split the decade where a lot of his best work came. Uh, before the 2010 started and he kind of you know crossed over so I think in terms of guys who really you know played the bulk of their careers throughout this decade and who were productive I think I think those are the ones um but I think it's funny too because they're all sort of different right like Adrian Peterson was just a machine I mean a dude who blows out his knee and then comes back and runs for 2,000 yards you know Marshawn Lynch who uh, you know, maybe the biggest character out of the out of the four guys mm-hmm. there. And, you know, like just his quotes, you know, whatever the, you know, I'm all about that action boss and I'm not, <laughs> you know, I'm just here so I don't get fined. Like all that was sort of like led to the legend of Marshawn Lynch. And I honestly think we forget about how good he was in Buffalo for his first few years mm-hmm. before he came to Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that has something to do with it. Uh, Frank Gore is just, you know, he's another guy who just kind of keeps going, right? I, I, my joke is that Frank Gore will never die, right? He will, he, <laughs> I, I've, I've been joking that he'll be on the 2020s all-decade team because he'll just still be playing through this time. Um, and I think even though he was never spectacular in any given year, just his consistency puts him here. And I think, you know, funny, with, with LaShawn McCoy, I think in a lot of ways he's sort of like Jimmy Graham in the sense that what he's done the last couple of years uh, has made us forget about how great he was at the beginning of the decade when he was in Philadelphia and working in those Andy Reid offenses. And um, I mean, this was a guy who was literally the, you know, he was arguably the number one running back off the board in a lot of years in fantasy drafts. And again, he, he leaves Philly. He goes to Buffalo. He has a couple of underwhelming seasons. Last year, he was a forgotten man in Kansas City by the end of the year. And I think that because we all have short memories in this new Internet age, uh, has sort of kind of led us to forget how great he was when he was at his peak. Mm, yeah, and and that's the thing, especially we see so much with with these running backs, and that's why you know people are talking about well, is giving Derrick Henry a long term contract worth it? Is that these these four guys they don't really they don't come around every every so often like they're or they they do they're very they're very rare guys that can because they they were big names coming into this decade and for the most part most of them played roles uh, on teams this past season. So that's just a testament to to what these guys can do. And when you find a guy that can extend in his career and still give you, you know, somewhat decent production, uh, especially past the age of 30, it's it's a, a rare thing. Um, is there any no, I will say before we get into I was, I was just going to ask you about offensive line in general. No fullbacks was a big question mark. I know Kyle Huschek 
was a little upset about that. Do you do you see the need for fullbacks on this list, or are you are you no fullback? You know, I I kind of you know I, I get why they didn't put them on there because they just are you know kind of an extinct or going extinct as a species. Mm-hmm. But um, yeah, I mean I think it'd be nice to have a fullback on there. I mean I'm a, I'm a guy who would like to see teams use more fullbacks. I mean everybody wants to spread the field and run, and I think you know if you want to try to figure out what what the the market inefficiencies are so far right now, it, it could be that you know you've got. Since everybody's trying to spread it out and run, why not maybe pack it in a little bit, bring in a fullback, and try to run the football? I think the 49ers, you mentioned Kyle Ushank, the 49ers were very effective with that. Um, but I get it. Like I, I get why uh, why they didn't put any fullbacks on this list. I mean, Ushank would have been there. What? I mean, who else Who else could you put on there? What, John John Kuhn, maybe? Yeah, that's, um, that's where I was, I was thinking. <laughs> I just think it's a, it's a pretty short list of guys you would probably put on there. Yeah, no, that's true. And I think... I mean, especially the way, like you said, the 49ers are using the fullback. We could see some sort of some sort of boost because when you can run, when you can run Hughescheck either you know leading the way for a for a halfback dive or send him out 30 yards on a fly, like that's a very that's a very lethal use of 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 a fullback for sure. Oh, I forgot to mention, obviously Darren Sproles. I mean, when you think of a flex, like you can't think of anybody more versatile uh, than Darren Sproles. I mean, I think I don't know if you had any words on that, but that's that's a that's a really good, a really good flex spot for sure. I just think what's wild about it is how long of a career Darren Sproles had, mm-hmm. right? As a guy who was never a superstar in any respect. I mean, you know, he he had a he had a very good career. Obviously, he uh, you know won a Super Bowl with the with the Eagles there. But a guy who was just kind of a, a little bit of a do everything. He was never a a stud running back necessarily. He was a good. A very good kick and punt returner. He just, he just was kind of a jack of all trades, and that mm-hmm. led to him kind of surviving in this league for a very, very. I mean, he was drafted in 2005, right? So he's been around for a while. Yeah. So I think, I think, I think this sort of speaks to his durability and his effectiveness without ever having been a superstar at any point. Yeah. No, definitely. Just what he's been able to do, practically everywhere. I mean, this this all decades team. It's great that they dropped it now because. Like I said, we've got really nothing but time to to just debate. But fortunately, the NFL lives in the hypothetical at this point. Um, so we've, we've got lots to talk about. The next thing I want to move on to is it was announced today, another piece of news, that the NFL will be moving or the draft will be completely online. So the, the, the rooms for the scouts and the scouting department, they will not be able to meet together. It's going to be all done through, I'm assuming, Zoom or Skype or the phone or, or however they communicate. Uh, what are your initial thoughts, and how do you think that this may change um, the, how the draft is run, especially this year? Yeah, I mean, I, I had been joking for weeks that the NFL draft is going to look a lot like everybody's fantasy draft. <laughs> um, and, and it's funny, I've, I've seen that joke kind of floating around Twitter as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, you know, I'm, I'm sort of curious. I, I honestly don't know what to expect from this. Um, I would love... It would be great if there was some sort of like your fantasy draft, if there was like a chat room or a chat window or something mm-hmm. like that. And you could yeah. see the, uh, you know, like one GM gets mad because the player he wanted got sniped like a couple picks before <laughs> they got on the clock or, you know, somebody picks a guy, dra- tries to draft a guy that was drafted like, you know, 10 or 12 picks before. Um, yeah, I just don't know how this is going to work um but i'm very curious I'm, I'm curious to see how the draft itself works i'm curious to see how they put it on television because it has become a spectacle and people want to see it 
So this is going to be a brand new world, and I think it's going to be sort of be fascinating. And I and I I wonder if this goes well, what this means for the draft in terms of a television entity going forward. Yeah, I I mean, I think even if it goes well, you have to like. There's nothing that beats watching a guy walk up on stage, dapping up Roger Goodell, and and taking a picture with his jersey for the first time. I mean, I I do want to see how they run this this virtual event. Obviously, I think EA said they're going to be doing simulations mm-hmm. of people going up. But, I mean, nothing beats that moment, especially it's just unfortunate because of, you know, the big plans that Las Vegas had, whether or not that that boat thing was real or not. Like, I would have been really interested <laughs> to see how that worked out. Um, but let's, okay, so let's talk about guys in the draft here. So you're a fantasy football guy, so I want to pick your brain a little bit. Um, give me a couple guys, especially in the first round, maybe wide receiver, running back, that you think could have, a, a really would be a really vital piece to someone's fantasy football team right away this this season. Uh, yeah, I think you know I think the first things that jump off the, off you know the list for me are uh, C.D. Lamb, Jerry Judy, Henry Ruggs, and you talk about wide receivers in what is a very deep wide receiver class. That's mm-hmm. that's the one thing everybody has has pointed out. This is a deep group, and it is very true. Um, I think all three of those guys could land in situations where they will get on the field right away and can see targets right away. And I keep hearing Henry Ruggs as a name to go to the Denver Broncos, which uh, I think would work out well with Drew Locke there and, and playing alongside Cortland Sutton. Um, I think with the 49ers swinging a trade and able to jump up to 13, uh, I would be very surprised if they don't go out and get a wide receiver there. I mean, somebody they can pair uh, with Debo Samuel, especially now that they've lost Emmanuel Sanders, try to get some more weapons for Jimmy Garoppolo. So you've got him with, you'd have somebody with Debo Samuel and George Kittle. Um, I think those guys are, are really going to go out and make an impact. I think running back may be a little harder. Um, if we do get a running back, it'll probably come at the tail end of the first round. Um, you know, I keep hearing like a, a guy like DeAndre Swift may come off the board early on in this one. I think Jonathan Taylor has a chance to maybe sneak into the back part of the first round, if not go early second. And I think, you know, depending on who you ask, those are the the two toss ups for who will be the running back one, uh, at least off the board. I, I lean toward Jonathan Taylor. I think the dude was a beast at Wisconsin during his his career there. But I think he and Swift are the guys at running back that have the biggest opportunity to make an immediate impact. Yeah, and it's really interesting to see, especially how kind of the conversation has evolved when it comes to these wide receivers uh, specifically, because, you know, before, and I don't know if this is just something that I did as um, as a sports fan, but when you think of a guy coming out, you think of, oh, well, he's, you know, he's wide receiver. We'll just slot him in as our, our number one guy because he's really good, but that doesn't necessarily work. I mean, you got to think about, uh, how to use them properly, what their skills are. And and some guys really aren't meant to be uh, number ones, but you can get a Pro Bowl guy that that's your number two receiver. So it's very interesting. I mean, like you said, a lot of the value is going to come based on um, where they where they get picked, how they use them. I love any 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 receiver that the Broncos get. I think it's just going to be fantastic. Uh, like you said, along alongside Cortland Sutton. Um, but yeah, it's it's going to be a really exciting draft. I think with those with those three receivers, the guys you mentioned, um, at running back and then with the what 12 or 15 other wide receivers that many people <laughs> believe that could be you know get some get some meaningful snaps uh coming up this season so yeah absolutely oh. i'll just say real quick i just i'm just gonna be a homer for a second too okay. because like, you talk about those wide receivers and and look, i'm a usc guy so i'm looking for michael Pittman. i just want to oh. see where he goes i mean he's a guy who 
Uh, last year, I mean, that, that team went through three different quarterbacks because of injuries, and Michael Pittman still found a way to be productive. He's he's not flashy, but runs good routes and has has solid hands. So just selfishly, like I said, as, a, as an SC homer, I just want to see him go somewhere and be successful. Well, as a Colts fan, I've been crossing my fingers that in the second round we take him because I don't want him to slip. I mean, I've definitely been watching some film and just what he's able to do. And like you said, with three different quarterbacks, like, at a certain point, you got to understand that that there's a lot of talent out of that out of that receiver to look good, regardless of who's throwing in the football. So, uh, yeah, as a Colts fan, I've he's a guy I've had circled on on my list for for quite a while. Hopefully, in that in that second round there for sure. Um, so let's let's move on here. Let's talk some free agency. Um, I just I just want to do I mean you know just a, a simple little buy or sell game. So a lot of guys have moved different spots. I'm just gonna give you a name and tell me if you're buying stock in them or you're selling stock. Uh, first okay. first off the board, the Panthers finally got a wide receiver, Robbie Anderson. Are you buying or selling? I'm selling. I didn't I I don't really get this move from the Panthers standpoint. I mean look if you're Robbie Anderson and you know that the draft is deep with wide receivers, you want to try to sign sooner rather than later because once these guys get drafted, uh, that's potentially fewer jobs open. But Anderson's biggest asset is his long speed, his ability to take a top off a defense, but he's going to be paired with a quarterback in Teddy Bridgewater who isn't known for just standing back there and chucking the ball downfield. This isn't like he's going to Tampa and you've got Jameis throwing YOLO balls. I mean, Mm -hmm. Teddy Bridgewater is a much more conservative guy um, so I just, I'm not really sure how this fits. I think the only thing that, that is a potential saving grace, uh, is that he's back with Matt rule, who was the coach at temple when Anderson was there. So maybe they have some sort of connection, but just on its face, I don't, I don't love this move at all. Yes. Uh, I'm going to take a break from this actually really fast. I've been talking to just a lot of different people that we've had on, cause I want to kind of gain an idea of where a lot of people's heads are at, especially in, in the media. So Jameis is unsigned. What do you think there's a chance he, he finds a starting role this year or at least some point in the future, or is his NFL starting job at least from a starting standpoint done? No, I mean, I think he can find a spot to go compete. You know, I know that for a while people were saying maybe he should go to Pittsburgh and, and just kind of wait for a year or so until Ben either till Ben retires or he can find his, uh, another starting job somewhere else in the league, and, and maybe that works. Look, I, obviously everybody's going to point to the 30 interceptions last year and just his propensity to turn the football over. But, man, there are times when Jameis does some things and you just you're amazed at, at how how good he can be. He just has to, to cut down on the turnovers. Who knows? Maybe having LASIK surgery in the offseason will help him see mm-hmm. see what color jersey he's throwing the football to. I don't know. But um, I I do think he's going to get an opportunity to at least compete for a starting job again. Yeah, no, I really like that Steeler spot because, I mean, you really don't know what you're getting out of Ben Roethlisberger, and you can't go back to Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph. No. Like, that's that's a non-starter um, uh, from there. But I will tell you one guy that's really benefited from Jameis Winston, Brashad Perryman, uh, who, who got signed to a $6 million deal, a guy who probably wouldn't have gotten half that if it wasn't for those last three games of the season. I'm sure he saved... Maybe a couple fantasy football seasons with with those those performances in the final weeks. Um, is there a chance he can somehow replicate that with the Jets? Are you buying or selling? I'm selling that one too. I I, I say this because I'm normally a, I'm a skeptic about a lot of things, and that was great what he did at the end of the season last year, but also it took both. Mike Evans and Chris Godwin getting hurt and being on injured reserve for him to really get on the field and get those opportunities. So I feel like this was 
Uh, it's a situation born out of you know, desperation, essentially, on the Buccaneers' part to kind of get him there. I mean, this is a guy who was a high draft pick, was a first-round draft pick uh, when he came out of college, was drafted by the Ravens, never really made an impact anywhere. I think he's on his fourth team in four seasons, uh, which tells you a lot about kind of how he's been able to produce so far. So I, I remain skeptical. I also just don't like – I, I want people to get out of an Adam Gase offense, not go into it. Like, I want Le'Veon Bell to get traded. I want good things for Sam Darnold, who's another USC guy. Like, I want them to get away from an Adam Gase offense. So putting Brashad Perriman in that situation doesn't get me excited at all. Yeah, definitely. I mean, and and we saw this too. Uh, the the wide receiver market, when you look at guys that were available, uh, was, was pretty weak. So, you've I mean, you've got guys that are getting quite a bit of money. I mean, you look at, at Randall Cobb. Uh, signed over there and with the Texans and in Brashad Perryman, it kind of boosts them up a little bit. Guys that were, you know, three wide receiver three or four on their respective team, getting some nice money to hopefully carve something out in in was a short term deal. Um, but speaking of the Texans, I mean, look, I'm not going to try and ask you to explain what happened with that trade. Um, I there's just there's no point. I mean, we've we've just gone in in circles really trying to figure out what Bill O'Brien was thinking, but. Let's talk about DeAndre Hopkins in that Arizona Cardinals offense. Are you buying or selling? Um, I mean, I'm buying uh, mostly in the sense that, look, he's I mean, this is a guy who's already one of the premier receivers in the league. Um, I mean, I think potentially his targets may go down overall, um, but I think he's going to be in an offense that's going to move the football and, and score a lot of points. Uh, we, we know that the, the air raid, they're going to spread it out. Uh, Kyler Murray's he's going to be one of these super popular he's going to be I won't say overdrafted but any value you thought you were going to get in the draft on Kyler Murray is gone uh, mm-hmm. because of this trade but you know I, I think I think instead of getting you know what 150 or 140 targets uh, in a season Nuke's number might drop down to uh, you know 110 115 something like that but I think I still think he's going to be a productive guy so uh, I mean I'm buying I just I don't know if it's going to be quite the same as it was in Houston when he was essentially the only guy that they were throwing the ball to. Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, if he's if he's catching 95 to 100 percent of them, I mean, you know, he'll make it work. But I, I definitely agree with with what you're saying. OK, let's talk about some quarterbacks here. So there's a lot of there's a lot of talk about where we're where we should be putting Tom Brady, especially in uh, these fantasy rankings. Do you have him? Do you have him as a top 12 guy? Is he like a spot starter? Where Where, where do you have him? I've got him right on the fringe, like right around 12, 13 right now. So he kind of is that fringe guy. There is there is what I like to call um, the patron saint of the church of wait on a quarterback. Like those people who in their drafts just, you know, you know they're going to wait on a quarterback. And that guy has sort of changed, right? For a while, you know, it was a Tony Romo. It's been, you know, uh, Matthew Stafford. It was Philip Rivers for a long time. Like those kind of guys that you knew would be on the board in like the ninth, tenth round could still give you decent production week to week. They, you know, they, they might not always win the weeks for you, but they weren't going to kill you in any given week. And I think, you know, coming up on his age 43 season, Tom Brady has kind of become that guy where if you're drafting, um, you know, he's going to be there in like the ninth or 10th round and you can get him and you know that he's got two excellent receivers. He's got a couple of good tight ends to throw the football to, and he's going to be fine. He's not, he's, he's not the Tom Brady that's going to throw for, you know, 5,000 yards and, and give you 40 touchdowns, but he can give you decent numbers. He's going to be efficient. Um, and, and, you know, if you can, if you can build your team so that, you know, getting 
say 17 to 20 points out of Brady every week is what is all you need, then I think you're going to be okay. Yeah. My, my late round quarterback guy last year was, was Josh Allen. And I think, I mean, I think he did a pretty decent job for me, Yeah. Uh, but Mm -hmm. fortunately for him now, he's got a a number one receiver, Stefan Diggs um, in a move that apparently I was hearing rumors that that tweet that he sent out um, the day he got traded actually caused teams to call and inquire about his availability. So that's, kind of an interesting story uh, <laughs> through the use of social media there. But how do you think Stefan Diggs fares in that Buffalo offense? Uh, I think it depends on whether or not Josh Allen gets more accurate throwing the deep ball. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think, I think that's kind of the big thing there. And look, John Brown had a, a nice resurrection last season playing there in Buffalo with, with uh, Josh Allen. So maybe that bodes well. Um, but he's got two very dynamic receivers to throw the football to. I think for Diggs, uh, it means potentially more targets because those years in Minnesota, he always kind of took a back seat to Adam Thielen, especially once Kirk Cousins came on board. So maybe now he kind of slides into the role of a true number one receiver. Uh, so we'll see what happens with him. I mean, obviously Josh Allen is the big winner because he's got digs along with Brown and uh, he's still Josh Allen right now is still, as, I'm, as far as I'm concerned, the de facto goal line back for this Bills offense. Mm-hmm. So as long as he's got that touchdown upside, um, yeah, that, that keeps him in the potential of being a top 10 quarterback this year. Yeah. So I've got just a couple guys here left and then we'll get into, into Tiger King. So Todd Gurley <laughs> signed with uh, the Falcons. It's became official today. Where do you think, is he going to be that true number one guy? Like what, what do you think his role is going to be in Atlanta? Yeah. I mean, I, I do. I mean, I think the days though of Todd Gurley getting, you know, 300, 320 touches, I think those days are gone. Um, I'm curious to see, uh, you know, I know that he agreed to the deal today. I, I don't know if there was a physical or, or if they're still kind of waiting on that because obviously last year the story was arthritis in the knees and that, that was a big part of what happened with him at the, with the Rams. Uh, so I'm curious to see about that. But I think what potentially helps Gurley's fantasy value this year is if the Falcons use him more in the passing game. I think for all the things that were disappointing about uh, Gurley last year, the biggest one is that the Rams just didn't throw him the football, which had been such a big part of what he had done when he was, you know, your, your number one running back. So I think, you know, I, I think the Falcons integrate him more into the passing game a little bit this year, which, you know, in our in our PPR world that we live in now is is going to kind of help his fantasy value a little bit. But I still think, you know, you're still only looking at around maybe 250 total touches. And then you're going to have the likes of whether it's Ito Smith or Brian Hill or Quadri Allison, whoever it's going to be. Uh, or maybe even they draft somebody, who knows. But I think that you're going to see somebody else rotate in there and get a, get some of those opportunities as well. Yeah, it says, according to Adam Schefter, they haven't taken a physical yet, so nothing nothing yeah. confirmed there. Uh, one interesting thing, you said you mentioned drafting a guy. I've heard, I've seen in a couple of mocks that potentially they, they're the ones that go out and get DeAndre Swift uh, and, and bring bring the, uh, the hometown guy back. That could be a really good backfield, Todd Gurley and, and uh, DeAndre Swift just combine together what what they're able to do definitely um so yeah i think i think we're going to leave it there with the nfl talk now we're getting into some tiger king so if you guys have not watched the documentary there are going to be spoilers obviously what we're talking about um so just pause it here go watch i think it's like seven parts long i think maybe mm-hmm. it's about seven hours so come back in you know i don't know when this drops but when, when this will drop but come back in about eight hours after and and then come listen to this so uh, well, first off, I don't I don't even really know where to begin. I'm not really sure where is a good spot to tackle this documentary. Um, 
I mean, from the first episode, you know, you, I heard, I got kind of pressured into it through social media. I don't know about you, uh, into watching it, but I certainly wasn't disappointed. Is there, what, what caught you, what caught your eye with this documentary first off? Um, I mean, it's gotta be Joe exotic, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, he is, he is the center, you know, the titular tiger, tiger King. Um, and he really, <laughs> I mean, the top was just being a spectacle in and of himself. I mean, just his appearance and his demeanor and his, the way he presents things, uh, kind of keeps you, uh, kind of, kind of locks you in and brings you in. But then on top of it, I mean, you're talking about a guy who, uh, I mean, what, I think I don't even know the exact way he describes himself, but, you know, basically called himself a, a mullet wearing gun toting, you know, gay redneck, yeah. um, you know, which just seems like so many contradictions. I mean, everything about him was just like, uh, you know, it was just a WTF moment. <laughs> it really <laughs> it was, was, yeah. It was, from, it was from beginning to end. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think he's, he's the guy that draws you in and then just this weird menagerie of characters around him, either working with him or working against him. Um, it is, it's like, if, if, if you made it up, uh, people would tell you that you're, you're insane. Like it, these are like comic book characters come to life, I guess is the best way to describe it. Yeah, definitely. I, I would not have believed you if you, if, uh, you know, someone tried to pitch this idea like, oh, this doesn't, there's no way this sells. Like, it's not believable. Um, but yeah, no, I agree with you 100% just the way, uh, I mean, I, nobody really even knew that this community existed. I mean, you, you're just thinking about it. Like, it's a whole, it's a whole different sector of people from, from really the, the real world. Um, and in episode three, I think it is, is where they dropped that bombshell theory about like Carol Baskin <laughs> killing her husband, which yeah. uh, it's like every episode I was like, there's no way they can get crazier than this. Uh, and then they somehow top it. Like, I, I, I don't even, I don't even really know how, how to describe it. I mean, like the, like a, a, your thoughts, I guess on, on that, I, on that I, piece. You know what? I watched that episode twice. I just like, <laughs> That's the one that I watched twice. Like I watched I went through the whole thing, episodes one through seven. Then I went back and I watched episode three again. So I'm like, wait, what? I'm like, I did I miss something? Like, there's no way. And mm. you know, like I will say this: there are no definitive links, right? There's no yeah. smoking gun, if you will, mm -hmm. that that says that they really. But like, there's just so many things about it that just don't add up, right? That you know, obviously, you know, all of a sudden. Uh, was it Howard Baskin that his van is at this small airport? Yeah. Um, and his plane, which wouldn't, which you know, wouldn't have enough uh, gas tank, fuel tank capacity to, to go nonstop to Costa Rica. Um, uh, the the fact that what five years and one day after he disappeared, she legally had him declared dead, so she could basically collect all the inherit. There's just so many little things about it that just just don't leave you feeling quite right. But there's never any, there's never any direct connection. So like if whoever, if, if there was someone who wanted to get rid of Howard Baskin, it almost ends up being the perfect crime because here we are, what, 20 years later and the authorities can't really pinpoint any specific suspect right now. Yeah, well, I think the other thing also was in, in his will where it says like, uh, when it mentions disappearance, like that just seems too like right. that seems too calculated, too perfect. I will say that uh, the moment I actually missed 
and I don't know why it didn't cross my mind was I think it's later on when when Joe's talking about how somebody had sprayed perfume on his shoes to get the tigers to attack mm, him that one time. Mm-hmm. And then they cut to Carol and she says, oh, no, if you want tigers to attack somebody, you need to rub like sardine oil on them or something. <laughs> and it just totally <laughs> slipped my mind until I'm reading back on I was reading like some article and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> that's too, that's a little that's a little too convenient. Um, but man, and I, I think it's interesting because, you know, it's, it's nearly impossible, um, when you're, even when you're doing a documentary to, to remain completely objective and, and tell both sides of the story evenly. And especially a story that has, you know, five or six parts because, you know, Joe, Joe went after, um, not only Carol Baskin, but well, I'm, I'm blanking on the name of the, the guy who, who, um, bought the the zoo from him or he transferred oh the, uh jeff 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 oh something. jeff low jeff low there jeff we go Lowe, that's yeah, yeah yeah so <laughs> and um but i thought it was just interesting to kind of look at it that way um obviously it kind of felt like the documentary wanted us to dislike carol baskin at least a little bit and from my end i think they definitely succeeded um but i, I don't know about you but the one thing that they talked about at the end with uh with you know just just winners and losers and who really won this battle um i think it's really interesting because they they kind of show uh show that maybe no one really won and and, and the only people that lost were the animals i thought that was just an interesting a spin on the ending of it yeah well i think i think that's kind of the thing that you know the documentary showed right is that you did have two groups of people who i think at the beginning i think joe and i think carol at the beginning very much were interested in the welfare of the animals. Now mm-hmm. they had obviously, they obviously had opposing viewpoints on how best to do that. But I do think they both started out with the, with the well-being of the animals in mind. And I think as, um, you know, for Joe, I think as his fame grew, uh, his internet fame grew, I think he kind of became, you know, tried to become a celebrity. Like he stopped being, you know, he's not being kind of Joe Exotic, and he started being, you know, Joe Exotic of the whatever wild animal park or whatever. Like it kind of consumed him. Mm-hmm. I think with Carol, uh, I think sort of the same way with Carol too. She became Carol Baskin of Big Cat Rescue, and I think on top of it, then once their feud really took off, um, then it stopped really being about the animals and started being about Joe versus Carol. And I think, I think, well, yeah, that was, there was the one guy who did mention, or somebody who mentioned it. You're right. The animals ended up losing in all this because two people just decided they wanted to go at each other uh, by any means necessary, and it ended up hurting the 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 thing or the 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 objects, the creatures that were supposed to be the centerpiece of this whole thing. Yeah, and and with the whole that whole legal argument where um, you know Joe ended up having to pay Carol was it a million dollars or something like that? That kind of led him to ramping up cub petting. So it was like the thing that she was trying to stop was. Uh, was eventually the thing that he needed to do if he was going to pay her for for you know the uh, the damages when when he got sued. But um, let's just let's end here um, in just a little bit. Tell me your favorite uh, side side character. So I'm let's for for the sake of the argument, let's say like Carol and Joe are the main characters, and then we'll mm-hmm. just go off. So who who's your favorite side character or, or story that you you uh, would have liked to see explored more? Um, I mean, in terms of just being just a straight up character, uh, it's probably Doc Antle, yep. mm-hmm. um, who 100%. just was just, just weird and larger than life. Although it sounded like he had some shady things that he <laughs> might've been covering up on the side that he didn't want people to know about, but just in terms of like being a character, I think there was one part too, where, uh, they showed him setting up a shot and the, the, 
the producer of the documentary is like, man, Joe's a better director than we are, or Doc's Do- yeah. a better director than we are, mm-hmm. you know, because he's like, he's like, hey, you like setting up the shots or whatever. I think he's the character that I think I'd most want to see. I think my, my, I guess, favorite or the person that I found the most likable, um, what was his last name? I think his name was Rinky, I think. Uh, oh, the guy okay. who was the, the, the double amputee who, yeah. uh, who lost his legs in the accident. Um, he seemed like the one person in this whole thing who actually was genuinely good and genuinely nice. And um, he seemed like he actually cared about Joe and he cared about the animals. And, you know, um, obviously, like everybody else, he kind of just got tossed aside when this whole thing went down. But he seemed like the one kind of redeeming person in the whole show. Yeah, definitely. And unfortunately, I mean, we really could dedicate an entire podcast episode to just talking about it. I mean, we didn't even mention the music video. We didn't talk about him running for president. Like there's there's so many pieces to unpack that maybe, you know, if uh, if we, we get off later into a couple of weeks, we may have to have you come back on and do a part two or something like that. So now I hear that he didn't, that it's not actually Joe Exotic that's singing yes, he, in the music video? Yes, he hired, yeah, he hired people to to sing, to do, like, to write the lyrics and do the voiceover, and he's just mouthing the words. I was so disappointed by that. I'm like, this dude could have had a, he could have had a, like, I'm not, I'm not a huge country music fan, but I'm like, this sounds pretty good. Like, this sounds like it could be on the radio somewhere. I'm so disappointed by that. Yeah, the one thing I have to do is watch that one music video cuz he so for those of people who are probably listening and haven't seen the documentary, he made a music video about Carol Baskin killing her husband, <laughs> feeding him to the tigers, including somebody dressed up as Carol Baskin. Who looks like Carol Baskin. He looks like Carol Baskin feeding some sort of meat to the tigers. <laughs> it's just it's uh, absolutely insane. I've one one of the best documentaries I think I've probably ever watched. Nonstop thrill ride for sure. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, no doubt. There's like that one. I don't know if you've watched McMillions on HBO, which is also a pretty good uh, a pretty good watch as well about the uh, the McDonald's monopoly game scandal and how uh, I guess some fairly low level mob guys were basically cheating and, uh, and and fixing the game and giving pieces to to their friends and family. That's that's a pretty good one as well. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah. So before we let you go, do you have any other recommendations for us? I know you just mentioned McMillions. Are there anything else? Anything else that we can listen to? Um, obviously, besides your podcast and NFL Fantasy <laughs> Football, uh, obviously had to plug that in there. Um, but appreciate is, it. Is, yeah, yeah, of course. Is there anything else that we should be checking out while we're stuck at home? You know, it's funny. I um went through and I, I was rewatching uh, Better Call Saul because I had missed I had missed the season and then wanted to catch up to this current season. So went through and was rewatching that. If if you haven't watched it, uh, or if you just haven't watched it in a while, go back and do that again because it is on par with Breaking Bad. Um, you know, and it, it started obviously as a spinoff because of his kind of goofy lawyer who's like, you know, and just kind of it's it's how he becomes Saul Goodman, the evolution there. Um, and and it is it is a stamp just standing alone is a, a pretty good, pretty good show. The other thing that I've been sort of binge watching that I never watched the first time around was um, Star Wars Clone Wars. Oh, okay. Uh, if, if you've got Disney Plus or whatever, um, because they're on their final season right now, and I had never watched it. So I'm going through and binge watching that, and it's really, really good. I will tell you how – this is how good it is. It is good enough that it makes me want to go back and watch the Star Wars prequels oh. because <laughs> – because it it adds it adds some depth that the movies didn't have. It kind of gets into all the little kind of petty squabbles and the trade wars and all the things that happened behind the scenes that led to the Clone Wars. 
Um, it's really, really good. So if you have some time, they're, they're on their seventh and final season. Go through. They're each half an hour episodes. Uh, and, and just go plow through the Clone Wars if you can. Yeah, well, I mean, it seems like we've got enough to to hold us over for at least maybe a week or so. Um, but uh, yeah, appreciate it, Marcus. Thank you so much for coming on, talking football and, and Tiger King. Hey, no problem, John. Appreciate it.